Welcome to another OUinsider.com podcast. I am joined by OU Insider staff writer Colin Kennedy. We're going to talk about Caleb Williams and what his decision might look like if he joins each one of the schools on his list and what the quarterback room looks like in particular. And where does Oklahoma go after Trey Sermon entered the transfer portal? Please consider giving this podcast a five-star review and rating it, you know, reviewing it. Tell people about it. All right. Let's talk to Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Let's start with Caleb Williams' top five because recruiting. The man listed Oklahoma, LSU, Clemson, and then Maryland and Penn State as the remaining suitors for him. And I'm going, all right, two of these make sense, Oklahoma and LSU. Clemson doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense because they have a five-star quarterback they just took uh, in the 2020 class. And then you take a look at Penn State and Maryland. And I know that we both have thoughts about these, but I'm going to just set the table a little bit. 2020, Penn State finished number 15 in the recruiting rankings, I believe is third in the Big Ten, and they took a quarterback, dual threat Micah Bowens out of Bishop Gorman. Three-star recruit, but feels like he could do the job, but also would not be a barrier for Caleb Williams to to overcome, right? This is like Tanner Mordecai coming ahead of Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma. And then Maryland is interesting because Mike Loxley, Pulled a rabbit out of a hat when he picked up five-star wide receiver Raheem Jarrett in this class, along with Josh Jacobs' little brother from my hometown area, Isaiah Jacobs, just like Josh Jacobs. It's a pretty good class, but they didn't take a quarterback, as if they might have known something or wanted to be here in these final five. And we all know that Gonzaga College High School is in Washington, D.C., which is very much in Kayla Williams' backyard, and he's showing the home state school some love. And knowing that they didn't take a quarterback means that he could probably show up and play right away. I expect Lance Lejean might have some things to say about that. Those of you that have seen B- QB1 Beyond the Lights would know that. But, Colin, what's your sense of the landscape here? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I'm sure we'll dive into each team and kind of what they have to offer for Williams. But, obviously, it's kind of like you mentioned, this to me is the top two. And it's LSU and Oklahoma towards that top of the mountain for good reason. I mean, when you break down what those two do offensively, where they're structured quarterback-wise, moving towards the future, it just makes perfect sense for Caleb Williams to pursue a position at either one of those schools. The other ones, I'm with you. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me for Maryland and Penn State to be in the top five, but at the same time, a top five has to have five teams. So I understand you got to fill that out the way you want to fill it out. So. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting top five from him. I'm excited to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of it all. But, 
it was exciting to see him narrow that list down and make this race even more intense as we get closer and closer to commitment time. I think it should be said that he would be the top recruit ever to commit and sign with the University of Maryland. Their top overall recruit is still Stefan Diggs, who's had a really great season, uh, or really great career, I should say, at the NFL level with Minnesota and then uh, signing a free agent or getting traded, I believe, uh, from Minnesota to the Buffalo Bills. Vernon Davis also there. Yes, sir. But Rakeem Jarrett, I think, is like the third highest commit, third or fourth highest commit in Maryland history. But you look around at who he would be coming in with and who's already going to be there, it doesn't feel awful, but it also does feel very much like you're a turtle or a turtle, a tortoise, a turtle in the Big Ten, and I just don't – I don't know that that's what you want to be if you're a five-star quarterback, but I didn't think that was what you wanted to be if you're a five-star wide receiver, and Rakeem Jarrett showed us all what, what we knew about that. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, Maryland going into this season as Josh Jackson transferred from Virginia Tech. He's a quarterback that I really liked watching play. I, I thought he was a good player. I, I think that the decision to transfer from Virginia Tech maybe kind of caught me a bit off guard, but at the same time, he's going into his senior season, and – now that opens the door. But at the same time, you kind of look at what Maryland has in the event that Caleb Williams does not commit. You see Lance Legendre, a redshirt freshman that was pretty highly rated in the 24-7 sports composite rankings. I remember him coming out of the New Orleans, Louisiana area, and he was a guy that a lot of people thought had some different opportunities, ended up with Maryland. And now the Terrapins are kind of in a position where they have a youngster that they can fall back on once Josh Jackson leaves following this season. But at the same time, if Caleb Williams does not commit to the Terrapins, which I think we all kind of expect, they have that guy to fall back on. So it's going to be interesting. Josh Jackson's kind of what they have to use in order to reel him in, per se. But at the same time, once his play pans out, you kind of have to see where you stand with him because it's either Lance or John Dre or you can roll with Williams on the crazy event that he commits. So as far as the Terrapins go, again, I don't see them as a real threat to the Sooners. I still think this is a race between Oklahoma and the LSU Tigers. But the way that Maryland's kind of structured their roster, it's almost perfect in the event that they do land one of the, the state's most highly coveted prospects. The problem I have with Maryland is that if people still think of you as a basketball school, you're a basketball school. There's no shame in that. <laughs> Duke is a basketball school. Mac Brown is not going to be able to change that North Carolina is a basketball school, even when they put together a pretty good season. Just take a look at what Larry Fedora did back in, like, I want to say it's 2015, where they have a, a I think it's a one-loss season. They take an L to a Clemson team that ends up playing for a national championship in that year. But it's a basketball school, right? You don't look at Rutgers and expect them to compete in football. You just don't. It's a basketball school for all intents and purposes. Same thing goes for Syracuse. And I don't see a five-star quarterback making the leap to Maryland. That said, there's some great football players that have come out of the University of Maryland. Vernon Davis came out of there. I mentioned Stephon Diggs. We can even talk about Dominique Foxworth, who I think was an outstanding defensive back at the NFL level. But if your goal is to win championships along with individual awards, like, say, the Heisman Trophy, it's real difficult to do that at Maryland to say nothing of whatever it is Mike Loxley thinks he's going to do. This is a guy that has such a record, man. I mean, Mike Loxley punched an assistant in the face. Mike Loxley 
loaned a car to a walk-on who got pulled over for DWI, got fired four games into his last season at New Mexico. I mean, at this point, it feels like Mike Loxley should just be saying, come to death row and drop the mic because that seems to be the pitch, but it seems to be working because he's right there in that fifth spot. Also brings me into this conversation that I really want to have with you about the reasoning for top fives, top eights, top tens. I really don't think that there's a whole lot to it for some of the kids. For some, I think it's very serious. I'm not sure if Williams is being very serious or he's just trying to back people off. That said, let's move to Penn State. James Franklin is an outstanding recruiter, like Mike Loxley has turned to be an outstanding recruiter. And he's got Micah Bowens in the 2020 class, so they have something to fall back on there. But when I look at wide receiver, I don't see much. You know, you got an opportunity to have some really uh, great tight ends. I love Noah Kane. I've liked Noah Kane from jump. People have said really great things about Journey Brown, and we know that Penn State's probably going to be good defensively. But Penn State competing in the Big Ten, specifically in that division that has both Michigan and Ohio State in it, feels difficult. It doesn't feel like you're going to get a whole lot of help. Does, does that strike you as the kind of situation that Caleb Williams would want to be in? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that Penn State, again, is a fit that really makes sense. I mean, ideally in this situation, Penn State would somehow pull this off. And again, they kind of have the Maryland plan right now. Sean Clifford's going into that senior season, and he was a pretty good quarterback. But then they have some younger guys on the roster that can fill in if Caleb Williams explores other options. But kind of like you're mentioning, Penn State isn't necessarily known for a ton of of premier skill position players on the perimeter. It's obviously a running back school over the past recent years. And, and I'm with you, Noah Kane, incredibly talented player. He was a Denton Geyer for that short stand before going to IMG. I heard about that guy almost every single week. And so now I understand that Penn State gets that qualification because of maybe the atmosphere or the prestige of the university itself. But I think you bring a great point in that. The, the Nittany Lions don't necessarily have the tools or weapons around Caleb Williams to really sell to him that would exceed expectations set by the Oklahoma Sooners or the LSU Tigers. So, yeah, Penn State to me is not necessarily a top-tier contender for the reason you're bringing up. But again, it's really all about narrowing down schools, and I know that Penn State has pushed hard for a service. I look at Clemson, and I think of the NBA. Right? I think of the Golden State Warriors, I think of 2010 Miami Heat. I think of a team that was not good for a very long time that got one great change agent and followed it with another and another. And I look at Caleb Williams and I say, you could be that change agent. You could be Steph Curry. You could be Kevin Durant. You could be LeBron James. You could be Chris Bosh. We remember all of those cats a little bit differently than we remember the others. We don't put Chris Bosh into the same stratosphere as LeBron James, though they both won titles on the same team. We don't put Steph Curry in the same position as Kevin Durant because we feel Kevin Durant latched on to what Steph Curry had helped build. Somehow, we have Draymond Green higher in the basketball hierarchy when we're talking about overall respect and loyalty than we do Kevin Durant for obvious reasons. And by obvious reasons, I mean he left Oklahoma City after saying that he was going to stay there and joined a winning squad because he couldn't beat that squad. Caleb Williams has an opportunity to do what nobody else has done at the University of Oklahoma. 
go there and win a national championship in the playoff era. Hasn't happened. You go to Clemson, mm -hmm. you're joining a 2010 Miami Heat. You're joining a Golden State Warrior squad. There's nothing wrong with that. You can win championships. You could be great. You're also going to be behind DJ Ui Ungugale, who we all think is going to be the starter just as soon as Trevor Lawrence admits he's going to go into the NFL draft in 2021, and you'd have to wait your turn there. You could end up Chase Bryce. You could end up Hunter Johnson. You could end up Kelly Bryant. I don't think that's what you want to do. Whereas with Oklahoma and with LSU, there's this gap in players that are in your same level and players that are not. That's the reason Clemson doesn't necessarily fit for me. I don't think you want to be Kevin Durant. I think you want to be Steph Curry. Am I wrong here? Uh, no, I think you're definitely on to something. And I think that's part of the intrigue for Oklahoma over a Clemson is the fact that you can come in and, and be that quarterback at a quarterback prowess type of school that eventually got that program over the hump and won the national title. If you do that at Clemson, yes, it's an accomplishment. But at the same time, as we've mentioned, the Clemson Tigers are absolutely stacked talent-wise. And they're going to be in the playoff race for a while and probably contending for national titles. The other thing you mentioned it, the DJ Uyunglele situation, it, it, it's intriguing to me because, yes, Trevor Lawrence is going to his junior year. DJ is going into his freshman year. But at the same time, I'm also kind of curious. I obviously don't know what plan that Dabo Swinney and his staff have for DJ. But at the same time, the option is on the table if they so choose to redshirt him and give him essentially a clean slate once Trevor leaves. So keeping that in mind, that could even further delay Caleb Williams' eventual taking of the field. And so for me, if I'm not entirely sure what the course of action is for someone else's future that can directly impact mine, I would be hesitant to take faith in what would happen for me. And so that's why, all things considered, the Clemson Tigers are, again, not necessarily towards the top of the list, in my opinion. It's just, again, in the event that you go to this squad and you do join a talented team, even at that point, you don't necessarily know how involved you'll be with that stack squad. DJ showed up and became Joe Burrow in their preparation for the national championship game. I think they're going to redshirt him in 2020 because that's what you do, and you will have that luxury. Mm -hmm. But I very much believe that at six foot five, 253, moves well, has an absolute cannon for an arm, hits 95 on the gun from 60 feet, six inches away, he's your plan at quarterback. Would you like to add Caleb Kelly? Absolutely. Or Caleb Kelly. Caleb Williams? Absolutely. But I really believe that this is down to LSU and Oklahoma. So in talking about LSU and Oklahoma and the quarterback rooms and such, let's start with LSU because I think we're all a little bit more familiar with Oklahoma and we'll get to them. LSU probably going to start Miles Brennan at quarterback who's been waiting his turn patiently, set records in Mississippi. Behind him, Peter Parrish was supposed to be there. He'd been removed from the team since January. Folks around the program believe he will rejoin the team, but he is not a polished product by any means he's a dual threat guy like you read about with tremendous upside and then you're looking at tj finley who's another project guy might be six foot six mm -hmm. six foot seven about 260 pounds with a cannon for an arm but again not polished a product and then max johnson brad johnson's son who didn't throw for a whole bunch of yards coming out of high school but feels like a much more polished product and could end up being the backup to Miles Brennan, even if Peter Parrish comes back. That said, Miles Brennan hopes to have a great season this year and then 
go on into the NFL. If that were to occur, I think that clears the way for a Caleb Williams, who would be joining what I think is going to be a stacked offense that is going to have an offensive line that had already gotten a little bit better. But is he going to redshirt that 21 year? That's interesting. Because right now, I would take Caleb Williams ahead of Max Johnson, TJ Finley, and Peter Parrish to play right away. If he if that's on the table for him, wouldn't you think that gives LSU an advantage here? I would say so, absolutely. I mean, when you consider the recent success, obviously beating Oklahoma in the playoff and then going on to winning a national title in convincing fashion, that factors into a decision for sure. And then when you look at that quarterback room that you so accurately broke down, it pans out perfectly to where Caleb Williams could easily have the opportunity to step right in and start as a true freshman for a university like LSU that is not only one of the most rabid fan bases in all of college football, but at the same time, they're recruiting at such a high level. It's a high-energy program. The facilities are strong. I think you point out something that's very accurate, the fact that LSU is kind of trending in the outward direction, and I think a lot of people have just kind of sat there assuming that because of what Oklahoma's accomplished specifically at the quarterback position that Williams would lean towards LSU or Oklahoma. But at the same time, LSU is still very much a real contender if they continue to pursue him down the stretch. So I think it's very fascinating how it'll, how it'll pan out. I think the big thing, obviously, is Joe Brady leaving, Scott Linehan coming in. I think you and I both know as a personal Dallas Cowboys fan, I am not the biggest Scott Linehan guy. And so keeping that into consideration, I'd like to see how that changes the LSU offense going into this season and how that impacts Miles Brennan's career. But at the same time, I still see LSU as a very real threat to Oklahoma moving forward and for the reasons that you point out. I'm with you on the Linehan thing, as you know. I, I would be remiss if I did not point out that with Matthew Stafford and Megatron, I might add, had a 5,000-yard passing season as offensive coordinator at Detroit about 10 years ago. And he's supposed to be the passing game coordinator. The guy that's supposed to be calling the, play, the plays is Steve Insmeager. But you bring up a good point with Brady. And what I thought was a really good point was Burrow because Williams took an extended visit to Oklahoma in March. We know this. He also took an extended visit to LSU in November when they were playing football, when Joe Burrow was very much going to win the Heisman Trophy, and when they were skull-dragging people. We're talking about dropping 50 on Texas A&M and giving up just seven en route to a 6,000-yard passing season for Joe Burrow. 60 touchdowns, six interceptions. They have shown they can take a guy who might have been second, third string, second string at Ohio State, third string at Alabama, and turn him into not just a Heisman winner and a program changer, but a national champion quarterback. Now, what does Oklahoma have to offer in all of this? Well, Rattler, you hope, right, is going to be going into his final year at Oklahoma if all things go the way that they should, just as Williams would be getting there, so that you would have that tutor mentee relationship going on. We'll figure out what goes on with Tanner Mordecai. I'm sure Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley would love to have him on, but I wouldn't bet on him finishing his career playing football at OU at this point. I'd also take a look at what Chandler Morris decides to do, especially if his dad gets a head coaching job. If Auburn goes on a tear, let's say they win the SEC West and win an SEC championship game, and then that man gets to go do something else, maybe he would try to take his kiddo with him. However, what do you have to sell if you're Oklahoma? You don't have a national championship that you could sell. Not in the Riley era. You're holding three L's. 
in the college football playoff era. Three Big 12 championships, but three L's in the game that all of us believe matter. You can sell, hey, we're going to be very polished at the skill positions. All We're already uh, always going to put up a bunch of yards. We're getting better with the defense. But you'll have the mentee-mentor relationship with one Lincoln Riley. And that, if you are really thinking about this from a what-can-I-do-for-myself situation, there isn't a better place to be because that man put two Heisman winners on the podium, three finalists, four finalists in, in four years. We're really getting after it. Or four finalists in, what is it, three years? Five finalists. Five finalists in four years. D.D. Westbrook, Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. That's five and four. All right, so two winners, two number one overall picks, and he's been the guy for every one of them. That's something LSU can't say, right? LSU can't say that the guy that got them to the Heisman Trophy, Joe Brady, because Steve Insbinger was there, right, is still mm-hmm. there. I wonder if that factors in. And let's add into this, he's still planning to take another trip to LSU and possibly another official to Oklahoma. Yeah, that's the biggest thing for me that separates LSU and Oklahoma. I still feel like Oklahoma is the clear-cut front-runner in this race for the reasons that you point out. I think that what really speaks for itself is the back-to-back number one overall picks and then what those number one overall picks went on to do in the National Football League. Yes, I understand that Baker Mayfield had an off year last season, but at the same time, we're also talking about a guy that once he was inserted in his rookie year into the Cleveland Browns starting lineup, he lit that thing on fire. And so it's not only the accomplishments that take place in the collegiate game, but it's the fact that you're set up for success following your days in an Oklahoma uniform. And so that's why, to me, Caleb Williams is so intrigued by the Sooners is because it's pretty clear and dry the fact that Oklahoma, if you want to be an NFL quarterback right now, that's the place to be. And so it's really how much do you value that moving forward. For that reason, I think it's LSU and Oklahoma. But then you bring up exactly what I would bring up as well. The fact that Joe Brady is gone, that's the guy that really flipped the switch. That's the guy that really helped prepare Joe Burrow for an NFL caliber offense forced him to execute it. The next thing you know, took him to astronomical heights. And so for that reason, that kind of leaves more of a question mark in LSU's ballpark. Whereas right now, I mean, Lincoln Riley is Lincoln Riley, man. He's still running the show. And so you want to go play for Lincoln Riley and then eventually go have success and maybe be the number one overall pick and secure a bag. Hey, man, I tip my cap to you. And that's why, for me, I think that's what's running through Caleb Williams' head. And that's what makes Oklahoma the clear-cut the clear cut leader at this stage of the race. It's that great philosophical question. Do you want to make money? Do you want to win championships? Right? Yeah. One you have some control over. The other one you don't. It's so terribly hard to win a championship, even at the league level, because so many things have to go your way. I mean, even just take it apart Oklahoma's last season where they won a Big 12 title. You got to come down from 25, right? You're 25 down against Baylor on the road. You lose that game. You're not playing for a Big 12 championship, possibly, right? You're talking about taking an L to Kansas State on the road, one you didn't expect to take. So many things have to go well just in your conference to win a championship, whereas your own development, you have more control over that, right? Injuries happen. We get that. But you have control over Mm -hmm. how you perform. And there's nothing I think that is more important to me than being able to put my hands on the ball and direct where it's going 
as opposed to I can't play defense, man. I can't catch these passes. I can't make sure that the play calls are right. I can only take care of myself and then have faith in others around me. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. I want to pivot from Williams to the running back room at Oklahoma because we know that Trey Sermon is now committed, headed to Ohio State. He's going to answer their biggest question mark, and Ohio State is going to be right there in the mix for a college football playoff spot, we think, heading into this summer. But looking at what OU is returning, Kennedy Brooks, Ramondre Stevenson, suspended, TJ Pledger, Marcus Major, Seth McGowan, I kind of think that they're up a creek here, Colin, and I get that I'm getting loudly yelled down or yelled at by folks for saying this, but you don't return more than one guy that's ever rushed for a thousand yards in his career at OU. You're running back away from being really hurt because name the last time we've had every single running back at OU that has gotten more than 12 carries come out of this thing whole. I mean, Marcellus Sutton broke his leg. Rodney Anderson had his issues going all the way back to when he first arrived on campus. Trey Sermon blew out his ACL last year. At this point, it almost feels like it's Kennedy Brooks' turn, but he's been indestructible as of late. Are you at all worried about the running back room at OU? Well, I put together a piece on OU Insider about this very issue. People should go check it out. Essentially, I decided on the pressure meter for each of those five running backs you mentioned. I kind of analyze this from my standpoint that I'm not worried about this group, but I am at a place where I need to see something from this group, if that makes sense. Because the way I kind of phrased it, yes, losing Trey Sermon hurts. It's not the biggest loss in the world, considering the fact that you still have Kenny Brooks to fall back on. But now it's all or nothing, because you don't have that crush to fall back on. In the past, yes, Sermon got hurt, and this running back room adjusted, but at the same time, Stevenson's going to be suspended. Fudger hasn't necessarily received the play time that I think he expected coming into college. I don't necessarily know where Seth McGowan will be, and Marcus Major, we're kind of overlooking it, is coming off of a major injury. And so once you factor all that in, yes, losing one guy is not the end of the world. But then all of those guys that are left coming together when all of their various situations are kind of adverse is what really raises my eyebrows. And so I wouldn't say I'm worried at this stage, but as I kind of broke it down on OUinsider.com, Kennedy Brooks, TJ Pledger, those guys specifically, I mean, the ball's in their core, especially because obviously Stevenson won't be able to play as we expect. Marcus Major, who knows what his status is going to be, although this kind of spring practice cancellation may be able to help him progress a little bit further in terms of rehabilitation. And then Seth McGowan, by all accounts, has been impressive in off-season workouts and such, but at the same time, playing the actual game of collegiate football and working out in a gym are completely different animals. And so that's where I am more intrigued by this running back room. They lose one guy. They still have five, but those five guys weren't exactly in positions that made you so comfortable going into the season. And so how will they prove themselves going into next year? I'm very excited to find out. Marcellus Sutton breaks his leg. Rodney, uh, Rodney Anderson blows out his knee. You're looking at a banged-up Trey Sermon to a degree. At one point going into, I want to say it's the Big 12 championship game, even headed into the college football playoff game, we were all talking about Marquise Brown's ankle when we probably should have been talking about how much wear and tear was on these running backs toward the end of the 2018 season. Right? 
Take yeah, that. and I uh, also wanted to mention that. I mean, remember, Kennedy Brooks got banged up in the Big 12 title game last That's year. right, right, and was not terribly effective, right? Now, looking mm-hmm. at how much OU runs the ball, because it's really about a 55-45 split there. And looking at how much they rely on having a guy to play that closer role and really to take over games and to be the counterbalance to the starter, I'm intrigued to see which one of these guys has an opportunity to be the counterbalance to Kennedy Brooks because I believe he's going to get the bulk of the carries to start. But can Seth McGowan emerge? Will Marcus Major be healthy? Is TJ Pledger even built for this kind of punishment in the third and fourth quarter when we know that Riley has really one speed once he gets a three-touchdown lead? Let's call it 18 points. He wants to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And the guy who was great at that in 2017 and 2018 is now headed to Ohio State. The guy that probably should have been doing that in 2019 is now headed to Ohio State. And you don't have a Jalen Hurts kind of quarterback in that you can just trust him on a QB power play. Right? Mm -hmm. You don't want Spencer Rattler running out there like Jalen Hurts. You don't want Tanner Mordecai running out there like Jalen Hurts. And what's more, you're looking at Jeremiah Hall. You're looking at that guy as your emergency tailback. No shade to Jeremiah Hall, but there's a reason why he's a fullback. So in a doomsday scenario, I don't know that you can even run the ball effectively because I know that we don't put a lot of emphasis on running backs, especially in this day and age of analytical football. But you still need the bodies, man, and you still need guys that know what to do in between those tackles. Yeah, exactly right. And I think what really hurts them is the guy that's probably best suited for that closer role is likely going to be sent out a few games. I mean, Ramondre Stevenson is easily the body type and running style that can replace Trey Sermon, but we all know what he's facing moving forward. And so I think you bring up a point that we also have to discuss when it comes to this running back room because it's incredibly intriguing to me. The running back room was able to adjust so quickly to the loss of Trey Sermon last season because they had a guy named Jalen Hurts who at some points was carrying the ball than most running backs on the stat sheet combined. Mm. And so now that that guy's gone, and you assume that Spencer Rattler's not going to be running the ball that much, especially when you factor in his live-action arm. You're looking for these running backs specifically to create things for this offense overall because, as we know, the running game opens the passing game, and you have to make it much easier on that young quarterback. And so that's another thing that you kind of have to think about, whether or not you're quote-unquote worrying about this running back room. Not only how effective will they be in running the football, but how well will they be able to take the pressure off of Spencer Rattler? How well will they be able to convince defenses that the play action is worth biting on? I mean, it's so interesting to me, now that not only Trey Sermon is gone, but Jalen Hurts is gone as well, how that affects these five names that we're mentioning. And in so doing, it puts even more pressure on them to succeed, and that's why going into the 2020 year, I'm so interested in what Kennedy Brooks and these guys can do from that perspective. That is Colin Kennedy. Check him out on the Twitters at CKennedy247. That's CKennedy247. Read his work on OUinsider.com where you can read great pieces like the one that he mentioned where he put a pressure meter on each one of these tailbacks. We'll have more to say about Caleb Williams. We'll have more to say about Alex Grinch's defense. Lots of recruiting updates that are going on even in this very weird pandemic period. Colin, thanks so much for taking time, man. Always fun, my man. Let's do it again. All right, brother.